Welcome. Morning. How are we doing? My name is Jonathan Randall. I'm one of the pastors on staff. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, welcome. Also want to say happy Father's Day to the fathers in the room. Thank you and appreciative of all that you do. Uh, Also, I'm glad that the sun is shining. This Colorado monsoon seems to be over, uh, and I'm excited for the sunshine that is ahead. Well, hey, if you've got a Bible, open that up to Mark chapter 7. If you've got a phone app, open that up to Mark chapter 7. We're going to be in the passage you just heard, uh, and we're going to continue our teaching series, uh, our summer preaching series on the parables of Jesus. Well, let me begin by asking, anybody here mountain bike? Anybody a mountain biker? Okay, maybe, okay, we got somebody in the back, mountain biker, all right. Uh, So I don't know if you guys knew this about me, uh, but I... I'm not a mountain biker. Uh, I grew up in Florida. Mountain biking in Florida is basically like trying to jump over a sidewalk curb, uh, and that is mountain biking in Florida. But I did live in Grand Junction, Colorado uh, for about six years, West Slope, Best Slope. And uh, over there is considered some of the best mountain biking in the world. Uh, In fact, you're an hour away uh, from the Porcupine Rim, uh, which is home to uh, the Portal Trail, uh, which is considered one of the most dangerous mountain biking trails in the world. I used to think mountain biking was a nice day. You go down a hill and there's trees all around you. Mountain biking is like up a level over on the West Slope. It's basically like take your bike and jump from this boulder to that boulder and try not to fall off this thousand foot cliff, right? That's mountain biking over there. Now, I had some friends who were very good uh, at mountain biking and they told me this story one time about this rich guy uh, that went mountain biking with them. And uh, by all accounts, this guy looked like a mountain biker. He talked the talk. He walked the walk. He knew all the trails. He sounded like he knew what he was talking about. There's just one problem. The guy had never been mountain biking before. He just owned a lot of stuff. My buddy said he looked like he cleaned out an REI sale. Uh, He had the expensive bike, the pedals, the gear. He had everything. He had just never been before. And the guys quickly figured that out because the minute they hit the trailhead, this guy more or less just fell down the mountain rather than riding down the mountain. See, this guy thought that if he just changed his outward appearance to look like a mountain biker, then on the inside, he would become a mountain biker. But the problem was, is it actually put him in a really dangerous spot. And and his pride kept him from learning how to uh, mountain bike and admitting that he needed to learn. Now, I bring this up because I think this hits at the heart of the parable this morning. Just like this mountain biker, I think a lot of us in this room assume that if we can just change our outward appearance to look like a Christian, if we can just walk and talk like a Christian, then on the inside, we will become a Christian. But Jesus is going to show us that our problem is much deeper than that. Our problem isn't on the outside, it's on the inside. And so if we take an outside-in approach, it won't work. What we need is an inside-out approach. And this matters for us this morning because I think all of us in this room are tempted to believe that if we could just improve our lives a little bit on the outside, then we'd be accepted. If we just read our Bible more and went to church more, then God would accept us more. If, if we just changed our appearance, then other people would accept us more. If we just fixed the things we hate about ourselves, then maybe we could accept ourselves more. But the truth is, if we try to change our lives from the outside in, we will end up in danger, just like this mountain biker. 
Because what's going to end up happening is we're going to go down a trail that's going to take us further and further and further away from Christ, not towards him. So this morning, it's my hope and my prayer that we reject this outside-in approach and receive Christ's approach, which is inside out. I have a simple outline for us. I have just two actions uh, that are going to address the source of our problem and the solution to our problem, the source of our problem and the solution to our problem. But before I jump into these actions, uh, let me give you some context that I think is going to help us navigate this See, Jesus doesn't just give this parable isolated from everything else. There's a story that happens right before this in the first 13 verses of Mark chapter 7. And essentially what happens in that story is there's a disagreement between the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders, and Jesus. And the disagreement is over hand washing. Washing your hands. Like, that's the disagreement. And you're as, an, as a modern reader, you're looking at that and you're like, why is this such a big deal? Why are you guys all getting up in arms over hand washing? And I think if we know our Old Testament, this will make sense. So in the Old Testament, there are these laws associated with cleanliness. There are laws that are uh, unclean laws and there are laws associated with clean laws. Um, and so let me give you uh, some examples here. You had laws that you could not touch a dead animal or that would make you unclean. You had laws dealing with what to do with certain skin diseases that could make you unclean or clean. Uh, There were certain foods that you weren't supposed to eat because they were considered unclean. One of those foods was the pig, right? And the point of all of these laws was actually not the health and sanitation of the nation of Israel, although that's a byproduct. The the point of all of these laws is they served as an object lesson or a visual aid to the nation of Israel that God is holy and we are not, and you can't just come into the presence of God willy-nilly and be accepted because we are unclean. Sin has made us unacceptable before God. And the truth is, is we have other spiritual object lessons, other visual aids today that communicate similar things, right? Like you physically fast to remind yourself spiritually that inside you need to hunger for the Lord. You raise your hands during worship physically to remind yourself spiritually that you are dependent on God. When you raise your hands, you are like a child who reaches out their hands for a parent saying, I'm dependent on you. That's what we're, we're reminding inside with an outside activity, right? We even see this principle at work outside the church. If you go on a hot date, You don't just not shower for that week and never brush your teeth, right? You get clean. You put on that perfume and that cologne because you're going on a hot date, right? If if you go to a black tie affair and you show up in a tuxedo shirt, they're not letting you in. You're not acceptable, right? You need to wear the right clothing to get in. This is the heart behind the clean laws. They're object lessons. They're visual aids to remind Israel that, hey, we're not presentable to God, We're not acceptable. There's this thing called sin. It's made us unclean, and we need to be made clean before we go into the presence of God. So this is the context of what's going on here. And the disagreement comes in between Jesus and the Pharisees over two things. What really does make somebody unclean? What what is it that makes us unacceptable to God? Or in other words, what's the source? And the other disagreement is over is how do you get clean? How do you get acceptable before God? In other words, what is the solution? So with that said, let's turn to our two action steps to help us 
see how this pertains to us today. I want to address the source of the problem first. And the action step is this. Stop trying to clean up your life from the outside in. Stop trying to clean up your life from the outside in. Hopefully you have found Mark chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 14 and 15. It says this. And he called the people to him, again, this is Jesus, and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Okay, so in verse 15, Jesus says, hey, the main problem for humanity, it's not what goes in you. The main problem for humanity is what comes out of us, right? The the main problem for humanity is not, the source of all of our issues in life is not something that's out there. It's something that's within here. See, I would submit to a certain degree, there's, there's a part of us that like, okay, yes, John, I understand that, but there's a part of us just by the way that we live and the way that we function, we disagree with that statement. Because all of us are trying to change our lives, but we're doing it from the outside in instead of the inside out, right? We're all convinced that our problems start with the circumstances out there. Somebody did us wrong. We have a lack of resources. I've been hurt with just so many bad circumstances in my life. And if I could just fix all of those things out there, then I would really fix what is wrong in my world. Rather than taking a look at ourselves in the mirror and realizing, like, maybe the problem isn't out there. Maybe the problem isn't here. And what's interesting about this text is I think it exposes that both religion and the world take this outside-in approach to change. They just do it in different ways. Let me show you this. In Mark 7, this, again, these first 13 verses that come before this parable, there's something there that I, I think we can easily miss. Even, even though there's disagreements, many disagreements between Jesus and the Pharisees, guys, there is one place where the, Jesus and the Pharisees agree. They both agree that humanity is unclean. They both agree that there is something wrong with us, this sin problem with us that has created a separation between us and God that we're not acceptable. We can't go into the presence of God. Both Jesus and the Pharisees agree with that. But I think this is where our world would depart and disagree with both the Pharisees and Jesus. Because our our culture will often say something like this. See, this is what's wrong with the church and Christians, and you guys who talk about Jesus all the time, you, you talk about guilt and shame and sin so much that no wonder people feel that way, right? Like, we need to move past guilt and shame and sin, and, and, and we need to uh, just admit that everybody is basically good. We're all acceptable to God. We, we just need to tell ourselves over and over and over again that we're really okay, And here's the thing, guys, that's an outside-in approach to change, believe it or not. Because what you're doing is you're taking an outside message and saying, hopefully if I just affirm myself that I really am okay enough, then on the inside I'll begin to believe it. If I I can tell myself I'm really not that bad, I'm okay, I'm really not unclean, then eventually on the inside I'll begin to feel clean. But church, let me ask, does that work? I know so many people who are obsessed with self-affirmation, and yet those are the people that often feel the most unclean. 
Our world is obsessed with taking an outside approach to the, the human psyche, but we haven't really done anything about this inward sense of guilt. If the world tells us not to feel unclean, why do so many people still feel unclean on the inside? When I was in high school, I had to read this uh, really weird author uh, by the name of Franz Kafka. He was a, a German guy. I don't recommend reading him. He's not a summer, uh, light summer reading. Uh, he's super weird, super bizarre. Uh, anyway, he wrote a book called The Trial. And in The Trial, uh, this guy gets arrested uh, and he gets put on trial. Uh, but he never knows why. Uh, he, does, he has no idea why he was arrested, no idea why he was put on trial. So the whole book, he's going around asking all these people, why did I get arrested? Why am I on trial? And no one tells him. And then the book ends with him getting murdered, never having found out. Wah, wah, wah. That's, the book. That's the story. That's it. That's the ending, right? And uh, Kafka uh, later would write a, a journal uh, about this book. And I think he sums up why he wrote this book with this amazing quote. He says this, the state we find ourselves in is sinful quite independent of guilt. The state we find ourselves in is sinful, quite independent of guilt. And what Kafka meant by that is we live in a world today that wants to do away with things like sin, but we can't get rid of this internal sense that we feel guilty. We just can't get rid of it. It's still there. We might be able to deny sin until we're blue in the face, but at the end of the day, when we put our head on the pillow, we still feel guilty. We're just like this person in the trial. We don't know why we've been arrested, but yet at the, same, at the same time, we feel like our lives are constantly lived like we're on trial. And so the world adopts this outside-in approach to dealing with this, that perhaps if we just deny what is right and wrong, what, what if we change the definition of sin? What if we tell ourselves that we're not really guilty, ignore the source of our shame, then maybe over time we'll believe that. The problem is it doesn't work. We're still left feeling unclean. But the world, they're not the only ones that take this outside-in approach to cleaning up their lives. Religion also takes an outside-in approach to changing and cleaning our lives. Religion will say, yes, yeah, something is wrong with us, but they don't start with the inside. They start with the outside. If we could just fix our lives up enough, then we will change. And the people who embody this the most in the Bible are these people called the Pharisees that Jesus is running into in Mark 7. On the surface of this story, guys, the issue for Jesus isn't just that the Pharisees are trying to follow the law to be accepted by God, although that's wrong, and I'll address that later. On the surface, though, the issue for Jesus, the main disagreement that is happening here is that the Pharisees have come up with these traditions and these extra rules that aren't in the Bible, but they've come up with these things in order to help them follow the Bible. And Jesus is going to step up and say, no, 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 no. Here's the problem. You've elevated these traditions and these rules over and above what Scripture actually teaches, and it's actually taking you away from following the Lord, not more into his presence. It's costing you the very thing that you think it's gaining you. That's what Jesus is going to point out to these Pharisees. Remember, I said there's a disagreement between the Pharisees and Jesus over this thing of hand washing, over these unclean and uh, clean laws in the Old Testament. Guys, guess what is not in the laws of cleanliness in the Old Testament? Hand washing. You won't find that in the law. That was reserved for the priests and only the priests. But the Pharisees are like, let's make this for everyone. And so 
When, when Jesus and, the, and his disciples aren't hand-washing and the, and the Pharisees get all up in arms, you can understand why. Because for them, it was paramount to follow the law and they had come up with these traditions and these rules that they had elevated over and above the law. They basically were saying, hey, the Bible says we need to be clean. We're gonna be extra clean. We're washing our hands every time before we eat. We're getting our dishes out, the cups, the pitchers, the bowls. We're washing the inside and the outside of those things. We're gonna be extra clean. That's the approach that the Pharisees are taking. But here's the thing. There's technically nothing wrong with what they're doing. These rules and traditions, that's not their problem. Their problem is, is that they're elevating the traditions and the rules over and above what Scripture teaches. And the tragedy is, is this takes them away from the Lord. It takes them further and further away from God. They thought they were extra clean by following their traditions and their rules, but they failed to address the real problem. They were blind to the fact that the clean laws were meant to show that we have a problem on the inside, that it starts there. Do you guys see the irony in this? Amazingly, the, the, the Pharisees would clean the inside of their dishes, but they failed to see that they needed cleaning on the inside of their souls. So when Jesus shares this parable, it's an assessment of the Pharisees. And the assessment is this. Your attempts to clean up your life from the outside in, they don't work because they don't address the main problem. And not only that, if this is the approach you take, if you try to clean up your life from the outside in, you are in danger because you think these rules and traditions are aiding you in following God, but it's costing you from God. It's that dangerous. Church, I don't want to mix words here. Trying to clean up your life from the outside in, it's not just misguided, it's deadly. It's deadly because you think that you're fixing your problem, but you fail to see the real problem. It's like stacking chairs on the sinking Titanic. You don't see the real issue. You're blind to it. Now, I think it's easy for us to be like, yeah, let's dog on the Pharisees some more and, and go after them and call them out, right? But I want us to pause and actually examine our own hearts because, guys, I think we have way more in common with the Pharisees than we want to admit. The truth is the spirit of the Pharisees is alive and well in the church today. We have all invented certain traditions and personal rules, thinking that they help us follow God, but they actually take us away from God because, the, again, the problem is, is that we take the rules and the traditions and we elevate it over and above this. And we say, my traditions and my rules are more important than what the scriptures actually teach, right? Oh, the Bible says to worship God? Okay, well, then the only form of acceptable worship is to play hymns, do this certain type of music, dress up when you come to church. That's the only form of acceptable worship. Oh, the Bible says that we're not supposed to get drunk? Okay, well, then the only acceptable rule for all Christians is to never touch alcohol. Oh, oh the Bible says that sorcery and, and divination are wrong? Well, then the rule is now that no one can ever read Harry Potter. Never, never mind the fact that Chronicles of Narnia has witches in it and Lord of the Rings has wizards in it, right? Do you see how dumb this is when we take traditions and rules and we elevate it over and above Scripture? Truth is, the spirit of the Pharisees is alive and well in the church. And when we elevate rules and traditions over and above what God has said in the scriptures, not only do we make everyone around us miserable, but guys, we actually miss out on the thing we think the traditions and rules are trying to do, which is follow the Lord. We're not following the Lord when we do that. We're following ourselves. 
This past month, uh, Amazon Prime released a documentary uh, called Shiny Happy People, um, and it's taking uh, Amazon by, by storm. It's really popular. Uh, and the uh, documentary essentially unpacks uh, the Institute in Basic Life Principles, or uh, IBLP for short. And uh, this organization was started by a guy named Bill Gothard. And uh, some of the uh, things that they uh, promoted in this organization was homeschooling and large families and no financial debt and authority, a very robust uh, idea of authority and modest clothing. And it was really popular in the homeschooling community, uh, but it it gained national notoriety because uh, this family called the Duggar family uh, had a show on TLC called 19 Kids and Counting. It, like... I think it's still the highest grossing show for the network, uh, TLC, uh, and it brought uh, a national spotlight on uh, IBLP. Now, this documentary is uh, on the aftermath of a lot of things because it's exposed that there was a ton of abuse going on in the Duggar family. In fact, there was a ton of abuse by Bill Gothard himself, and they show that the teachings of IBLP actually created the environment in order for this abuse to thrive. Now, I realize this is a complicated story. Go on Twitter. It's super controversial right now. Um, there's people on both sides of this. Some people are saying uh, that the documentary was unfair because it makes it sound like all Christians are in the IBLP camp. Then there are other people who are saying we actually need to wrestle with this documentary because um, like, probably every church has been exposed to this and uh, is dealing uh, with the fallout of it. Um, I don't want to wade into the controversy. I just want to say I think there's something we all can agree on. And that is that this documentary shows that the spirit of the Pharisees is still alive and well in the church today. Because what I find fascinating about what the ILBP did is on the surface, it sounds right. But what they really did is they took the traditions and personal rules of men and they elevated it over above scripture. That's what they did, right? Like, I'm not saying, and there's, again, there's nothing wrong with uh, rules and tradition, but when you elevate it over above scripture, things get weird and toxic real fast, right? Like there's nothing wrong with homeschooling. Homeschool your kids. But why does it, where, show me the verse where it says that every Christian family has to homeschool their kids. That's not in there, right? Modesty is a thing we should aim for, right? But show me the verse where it says that all girls have to wear denim skirts and all shoulders have to be covered and dudes can't wear saggy pants. You won't find that in there. That's a tradition that we've elevated over and above what the scriptures teach. You know, perhaps the most tragic thing that I noticed watching that documentary, Jesus is hardly ever mentioned. And when he is mentioned, it's always about obedience, never grace. Why? Because IBLP teaches an outside-in method to change. It's just dressed up in religion. Spiritual jargon, Bible verses taken out of context, tradition and rules, let's throw this all on top. Just do what we say on the outside and you will make yourself clean and acceptable on the inside. The problem is is it doesn't work. Just look at what the documentary has exposed. So many people who have been in that, that organization have been led further and further and further away from Jesus, not towards him. Salt Church, the truth is, if we try to change from the outside in, whether we're religious or not, it's going to fail. It needs to stop. It's not just misguided, it's dangerous. It leads people away from Jesus and not towards him. 
And if I may give a small application here, the way to stop trying to clean up our lives from the inside out approach is to take Jesus at his word. In verse 14, it's a phrase that's often associated with the parables. Jesus says this, hear me, all of you, and understand. Last week I said that one of the reasons uh, we run into listening to Jesus that uh, costs us is we have selective listening. We only hear the things that we want to hear from him. I think another thing that costs us when it comes to listening to Jesus is we listen to other voices far more than we listen to Jesus. We listen to the religious voice that says, hey, you need to clean up your life by practicing a quiet time. Only listen to K-Love. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do, right? We listen to the political pundits that say, just elect the right leaders, vote for the right laws, pray for the right judges, and then we'll fix what's wrong in our country. Listen to the social voices that say, just educate people, advance uh, technology, protect family rights, take care of the environment, exercise and diet, and you will fix all that's gone wrong in society. And the only voice that can actually fix us in our world, Jesus just gets drowned out in these voices. Church. Let's listen to Jesus. If the source of our problem is on the inside, then an outside-in approach won't work. We need a better solution. We need to go inside out. And that's what Jesus offers to us, the solution. My last point, start trusting Jesus to clean up your life from the inside out. Start trusting Jesus to clean up your life from the inside out. So picking back up the text, Mark 17 or I'm sorry, Mark 7, verse 17 says this. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about that parable. Let me pause here real quick. This is totally for free, total side note. If you read the gospel of Mark, you'll notice that the majority of the discipleship moments that Jesus has with his disciples, they always happen in a house. So this is my application to the modern world for, and my plea for you to get into a home group. Home groups are like the best place for discipleship. It's a place where you can bring your questions and ask, am I listening to the voices of religion in the world or am I listening to the voice of Jesus? Let other people speak into that and ask, help you answer that question in the house, in a home group, in discipleship with community, with others. Guys, if the 12 disciples needed to go to Jesus, they walked and talked with him. If they needed to go with Jesus and ask questions and get clarification, don't, don't we need that? So that's my, my plea for you today. Get into a home group. All right, picking back up the text, verses 18 and 19. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. So in these verses, Jesus is indirectly, and in a very funny, ironic way, uh, sharing the solution to the unclean problem that humanity has. And he's going to show that the solution is himself. Now, again, Jesus is incredibly ironic here. He says, hey, food goes in you and comes out, goes in one end, it comes out the other end, and it doesn't make you clean because it doesn't go through the heart. It's actually expelled. That word expelled literally means it goes into the latrine. It goes into the toilet. Uh, and I don't mean to be crass here, but Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees to see something here because he's saying, hey, Pharisees, you guys, you guys think that if you eat unclean food, that that makes you clean or unclean. But, but why isn't that 
when you come over here and you actually go to the bathroom, why isn't your poop unclean? Because according to the, the Pharisees, that was the case, right? This is totally a, a Bible verse I would have loved when I was 12 because that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about poop. He's saying, hey, you Pharisees, you eat clean food and you think that that's what makes you clean. But if you eat unclean food, why isn't your poop unclean? Because according to your tradition, it's not, Right? church, this is good news. This is a mic drop moment that Jesus has on the Pharisees here. He's saying, hey, your poop may smell bad, but it's not sinfully bad. So my application to you is the next time you're going, you're doing your business, Charmin may make you clean on the outside. It's Jesus that makes you clean on the inside, right? Amen. Uh, All the church says it, but still spray Febreze because your poop still smells. All right. Let me unpack this uh, a little bit more. Uh, we really get the solution to our unclean problem in that parenthetical statement. There's a parentheses, if you've noticed there. The parentheses are there to help us see something. Uh, this is an editorial mark from Mark, the writer of, of the gospel. And what he's doing is, uh, very rarely would he do this, but Mark, sometimes when he's listing out the story, he'll kind of add his own little commentary and he's like, hey, this is what's really happening. So Jesus, in that moment, doesn't literally say all foods are clean, but Mark, when he's writing this gospel uh, through the account of Peter, is looking back and remembering this story and he's saying, hey, this is what Jesus meant. This is what he was getting at, Right? And what the reason Jesus can say that all foods were now clean is because he's fulfilling the clean laws. Jesus was the one who was going to make people truly clean, which means this parable isn't just commenting on the Pharisees and their hand-washing and their human tradition. Jesus is also commenting on the law itself. He's commenting on Scripture. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, the clean laws, they aren't permanent. They were a placeholder. They were not meant to be uh, permanent because they can't deal with the real issues. If you have to wash your hands in order to go into the temple and then you come back out of the temple and you get unclean again, it doesn't work. You have to clean your hands again before you go back in. You have to do all the clean laws all the time. It's just like the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system, guys, this is something that like I wasn't until I was older understood this. When, when you sacrificed an animal in the Old Testament, it didn't actually take care of your sin problem. It just abated it a little bit. But it was a visual reminder. It was an object lesson to Israel to say, hey, only through the shedding of blood will there be forgiveness of sins. But you had to do this over and over and over again because it wasn't permanent. But enter Jesus onto the scene, guys. He really is the solution to our problem because he's the perfect sacrifice who sacrifices and sheds his blood once and for all. And he doesn't just abate sin. He can actually forgive it and clean you from the inside out. There's no reason to practice clean laws anymore because it's Jesus that is our clean law. He is the one that makes us acceptable in the presence of God because of what he did on the cross. Guys, in the Gospels, like from an Old Testament perspective, this is amazing. When Jesus comes in contact with unclean things, unclean animals, and unclean people, he's supposed to be unclean if he touches those things. And yet when Jesus touches an unclean Gentile or raises an unclean dead body back from the dead or goes in in, in anything unclean, he makes that clean. He reverses the process. How does he do that? Because Jesus on the cross would be made unclean. It's Jesus who is rejected by God, defiled and made unclean so that you and I could be made purified and clean 
and accepted by God. Jesus is saying here, we don't need to follow these unclean laws anymore because he's the one who's going to ultimately make us clean. Because that's an inside-out approach. He's not doing away with the unclean laws. He's fulfilling it. I love what Andrew Wilson says in his book, The God of All Things. He has this amazing quote. He says this, I call it the pig paradox. On the one hand, no animal is dirtier, uglier, or smellier than a pig. On the other hand, they taste sensational. Bizarrely, if you were to create a smell spectrum from the vilest stench to the most enticing aroma, pigs would find themselves at both ends of it, depending on whether it was before or after they had died. How can something that smells so bad when it's alive smell so great when it's not? How can death transform something from filthy and untouchable to fragrant and delightful? Death, in our case, the death of Christ, has taken that which is filthy and untouchable and made us fragrant and delightful. And then this is one of the best sentences I've ever heard. In Christ, pigs become bacon. Um, that's, that, guys, that's our story. In Christ, pigs become bacon. We used to be a pig. God has made us bacon. We used to be filthy. God has made us clean. That is what Jesus has done for us. Somebody say amen. These guys get it over here. I love it. All right, church. The solution to our unclean problem isn't receiving the right foods. It's receiving Christ and all that he's accomplished for us on, the death, on, on his death on the cross. As food goes in, one in, one end and comes out the other, but Jesus goes into the heart and he makes us clean from the inside out. Let me show you how this works. I want to keep adding to this because I think it's important. The last piece of our text this morning, Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So when I read, these verses, when I read this, this part of the, the text this week, I was struck with a new question and it was this, why is Jesus' list of all the things that come out of a heart so long, right? Like why doesn't he just say, hey, the heart is evil and wicked? Why does he list out all of these things? He actually lists out 12 different sins. They all kind of fall under the banner of evil thoughts. And then he lists out 12 different things. The first six are all action-based and the last six are all attitudes. And again, my question is, why does he do that? Why doesn't he just say, hey, the heart is your problem? Instead, he lists out all these things. I think the answer to that question is that Jesus is trying to show us that sin is a much deeper problem than we think it is. Sin goes way deeper than we think it does. We might properly diagnose the heart as our problem, but Jesus is trying to show that our sin problem is deeper than we know. It's not just actions, it's attitudes, which means that, that the cleansing that Jesus wants to do in our lives, it's much deeper than, we, than I think we sometimes want, right? If our sin goes deep, then the cut that Jesus has to make in order to give us a new heart has to be deeper. And sometimes I don't think we want Jesus to perform that kind of heart surgery on us. I think if we're honest, many of us don't want this. We want Jesus just to, hey, give me a plan. Give me a new way of thinking. Give me a New Year's resolution. Give me more training. Give me an outside-in approach. And Jesus says that won't work. 
I need to do an inside-out approach. I need to perform heart surgery. I got to cut deep and, and give you a new heart because that's how deep sin goes. David prayed as much in Psalm 51.10. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He doesn't say cleanse a new heart. He says create a new heart. David's getting at something here. The cleansing that Jesus does want to offer is a brand new heart. But what does that mean? (laughs) What does a clean heart really look like? Let me get real practical here. The heart, guys, it's not just a muscle in your body that pumps blood to the rest of your body. The heart in the Bible is the center of who you are. It's the way you think. It's what you desire. It's how you're wired. It's what you love. It's, it's why you do what you do. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to make you clean, what he's saying is, I want access to all of who you are because I'm going to change all of who you are. In other words, Jesus doesn't want to just remove sin. He wants to replace sin. He doesn't want to just scrub your heart. He wants to put in a brand new one. Guys, to just remove sin, that's like cleaning the floor with a dirty mop. It doesn't work. To replace sin, that's tearing up the floor and putting in something new. So what what does Jesus replace sin with? It's the fruit of the Spirit. He takes out our old heart that desires sin, and he puts in a new heart that desires the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 through 23 gives an opposite list of what you see in Mark chapter 7. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Guys, this is not replacing immorality with morality. It's not trying to replace bad things with good things. This is brand new. Notice the fruit of the Spirit's not rooted in the law. The law says, go and do these things. The Spirit says, this is who you are. Because when you get a new heart, are, are you... Are you going to struggle with sin? Yes, there's still scar tissue from the old heart that's in there. And you're going to deal with that until you go home to glory. But when you get a new heart, do you know what you now desire? You desire righteousness. You desire the good things that God has given to us. And inside this new heart, the Spirit makes us aware of what Jesus has done to make us clean. And out of that begin to grow all of these characteristics, these these fruit. And, and, and when we obey Christ, it's no longer because we're trying to be acceptable to him. It, we're obeying him because Jesus has already made us acceptable. We're not obeying trying to make ourselves clean on the outside. We're obeying from the inside because Jesus has made us clean already. Do you guys see how that works? It's an inside-out approach, not an outside-in. Let me close with this. One of my heroes in the faith is my Aunt Karen. Um, she's an amazing woman. Um, but her life uh, was really complicated. Um, she was an alcoholic uh, for most of her life. Uh, she was married four times. Uh, she was definitely the black sheep of the family. But if anyone figured out what this text is all about, that Jesus is the one that can make an unclean heart clean, it was my Aunt Karen. I remember my mom sharing a story uh, about my Aunt Karen early on. Um, in her life, she went to a Billy Graham crusade and the gospel was presented and she wanted to go down to give her life to Jesus. And my grandmother, her mom, stopped her and said, you don't need to do that. We're Lutheran. We have church membership. We're already acceptable to God. We're good. And I can't help but think, that's an outside-in approach, and I can't help but think how much that played into my Aunt Karen's thinking because I found out later in her life that she never felt like she could step foot in church because she was so dirty, because she was so unclean, because she was so unwelcome. 
And, and the reason she felt that way is because she could never measure up to what my grandmother said. She, she knew she wasn't acceptable, she, but she never could measure up to what uh, that was. And so she, uh, this outside-in approach that she was trying to apply on her life just made her more and more convinced that she really was dirty. And so she never stepped foot into a church. But in God's sovereign plan, amazingly, um, God pursued my Aunt Karen, and she radically got saved. Um, she gave her life to Jesus, and God cleaned her and changed her from the inside out. In the last uh, few years of her life, I got to know a brand new person. My Aunt Karen loved ferociously. Uh, she uh, stopped drinking completely. She asked uh, for forgiveness uh, from her uh, family and people that she had wronged. And she followed Jesus with everything that she had, not because she was trying to make herself clean, but because she knew that Jesus had given her a new heart. And even in the face of cancer, that would eventually take her life. This woman who felt so unacceptable to be around Christians was ready to go home with joy because she knew that God, her father, accepted her. That's her story. And she's a legacy in the faith. Church, I don't think it's a coincidence that after this story, Jesus goes and has lunch with a Gentile woman, an unclean woman. And Jesus uses that as a teaching moment to teach his disciples, this is who I've come for. Don't you get it? This is who I am. This is what Jesus does. He makes the unclean clean. He, he shows that the unacceptable through him can be made acceptable. He makes the defiled pure, the sin-filled heart. He turns into the spirit-filled heart. Church, what about you? Will you stop trying to clean up your life from the outside in and start trusting Jesus to clean your life up from the inside out? Let's pray.